Section one of Mark Twain's Autobiography, Volume two. This is a LibriVox recording, read by John Greenman. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, visit LibriVox.org. Mark Twain's Autobiography, Volume two, with an introduction by Albert Bigelow Payne in Volume one. Mark Twain, New York, Tuesday, January twenty third, nineteen o six about a meeting at carnegie hall in the interest of booker washington's tuskegee institute an unpleasant political incident which happened to mr twichell there was a great mass meeting at carnegie hall last night in the interest of booker washington's tuskegee educational institute in the south and the interest which new york people feel in that institute was quite manifest in the fact that although it was not pleasant weather there were three thousand people inside the hall and two thousand outside who were trying to get in when the performances were ready to begin at eight o'clock note they were largely attracted by the announcement that mark twain was to be present and would speak a b p mr choate presided and was received with a grand welcome when he marched in upon the stage he is fresh from his long stay in england as our ambassador where he won the english people by the gifts of his heart and won the royalties and the government by his able diplomatic service and captured the whole nation with his fine and finished oratory for thirty-five years Choate has been the handsomest man in America. Last night he seemed to me to be just as handsome as he was thirty-five years ago, when I first knew him. And when I used to see him in England five or six years ago, I thought him the handsomest man in that country. It was at a Fourth of July reception in Mr. Choate's house in London that I first met Booker Washington. I have met him a number of times since, and he always impresses me pleasantly. Last night he was a mulatto. I didn't notice it until he turned while he was speaking and said something to me. It was a great surprise to me to see that he was a mulatto and had blue eyes how unobservant a dull person can be always before he was black to me and i had never noticed whether he had eyes at all or not he has accomplished a wonderful work in this quarter of a century when he finished his education at the hampton colored school twenty-five years ago he was unknown and hadn't a penny nor a friend outside his immediate acquaintanceship but by the persuasions of his carriage and address and the sincerity and honesty that look out of his eyes he has been enabled to gather money by the hatful here in the north and with it he has built up and firmly established his great school for the colored people of the two sexes in the south in that school 
the students are not merely furnished a book education but are taught thirty-seven useful trades booker washington has scraped together many hundreds of thousands of dollars in the twenty-five years and with this money he has taught and sent forth into southern fields among the colored people six thousand trained colored men and women and his student roll now numbers fifteen hundred names the institute's property is worth a million and a half and the establishment is in a flourishing condition a most remarkable man is booker washington and he is a fervent and effective speaker on the platform when the affair was over and the people began to climb up on the stage and pass along and shake hands the usual thing happened it always happens i shake hands with people who used to know my mother intimately in arkansas in new jersey in california in jericho and i have to seem so glad and so happy to meet these persons who knew in this intimate way one who was so near and dear to me and this is the kind of thing that gradually turns a person into a polite liar and deceiver for my mother was never in any of those places one pretty creature was glad to see me again and remembered being at my house in hartford i don't know when a great many years ago it was now she was mistaking herself for somebody else it couldn't have happened to her but i was very cordial because she was very pretty we might have had a good long chat except for the others that i had to talk with and work up reminiscences that belonged in somebody else's experience not theirs or mine there was one young fellow brisk but not bright overpoweringly pleasant and cordial in his way he said his mother used to teach school in elmira new york where he was born and bred and where the family continued to reside and that she would be very glad to know that he had met me and shaken hands for he said she is always talking about you she holds you in high esteem although as she says she has to confess that of all the boys that ever she had in her school you were the most troublesome well i said those were my last school days and through long practice in being troublesome i had reached the summit by that time because i was more than thirty-three years old it didn't affect him in the least i don't think he even heard what i said he was so eager to tell me all about it and i said to him once more so as to spare him and me that i was never in a schoolhouse in elmira new york even on a visit and that his mother must be mistaking me for some of the langdons the family into which i married no matter he didn't hear it kept on his talk with animation and delight 
and has gone to tell his mother I don't know what. He didn't get anything out of me to tell her, for he never heard anything I said. These episodes used to vex me years and years ago, but they don't vex me now. I am older. If a person thinks that he has known me at some time or other, all I require of him is that he shall consider it a distinction to have known me, and then, as a rule, I am perfectly willing to remember all about it and add some things that he has forgotten. Twitchell came down from Hartford to be present at that meeting, and we chatted and smoked after we got back home, and reference was made again to that disastrous Boston speech which I made at Whittier's seventieth birthday dinner, and Joe asked me if I was still minded to submit that speech to that club in Washington day after tomorrow, where Colonel Harvey and I are to be a couple of the four guests, and I said no, I had given that up, which was true, because I have examined that speech a couple of times since, and have changed my notion about it, changed it entirely. I find it gross, coarse. Well, I needn't go on with particulars. I didn't like any part of it from the beginning to the end. I found it always offensive and detestable. How do I account for this change of view? I don't know. I can't account for it. I am the person concerned. If I could put myself outside of myself and examine it from the point of view of a person not personally concerned in it, then no doubt I could analyze it and explain to my satisfaction the change which has taken place. As it is, I am merely moved by instinct. My instinct said formerly that it was an innocent speech and funny. The same instinct, sitting cold and judicial as a court of last resort, has reversed that verdict. I expect this latest verdict to remain. Twitchell's congregation, the only congregation he has ever had since he entered the ministry, celebrated the fortieth anniversary of his accession to that pulpit a couple of weeks ago. Joe entered the army as chaplain in the very beginning of the Civil War. He was a young chap and had just been graduated from Yale and the Yale Theological Seminary. He made all the campaigns of the Army of the Potomac. When he was mustered out, that congregation I am speaking of called him, and he has served them ever since, and always to their satisfaction, except once. I have found among my old manuscripts one which I perceive to be about twenty-two years old. It has a heading and looks as if I had meant it to serve as a magazine article. I can clearly see now why I didn't print it. It is full of indications that its inspiration was what happened to Twitchell about that time, and which produced a situation for him which he will not forget until he is dead, 
if he even forgets it then. I think I can see all through this artful article that I was trying to hint at Twitchell and the episode of that preacher whom I met on the street, and hint at various things that were exasperating me. And now that I read that old article, I perceive that I probably saw that my art was not ingenious enough, that I hadn't covered Twitchell up, and hadn't covered up the episode that I was hinting at, that anybody in Hartford could read everything between the lines that I was trying to conceal. I will insert this venerable article in this place, and then take up that episode in Joe's history and tell about it. THE CHARACTER OF MAN CONCERNING MAN He is too large a subject to be treated as a whole, so I will merely discuss a detail or two of him at this time. I desire to contemplate him from this point of view, this premise, that he was not made for any useful purpose, for the reason that he hasn't served any, that he was most likely not even made intentionally, and that his working himself up out of the oyster-bed to his present position was probably matter of surprise and regret to the Creator. For his history, in all climes, all ages, and all circumstances, furnishes oceans and continents of proof that of all the creatures that were made he is the most detestable. Of the entire brood he is the only one, the solitary one, that possesses malice. That is the basest of all instincts, passions, vices, the most hateful. That one thing puts him below the rats, the grubs, the trichini. He is the only creature that inflicts pain for sport, knowing it to be pain. If the cat knows she is inflicting pain when she plays with the frightened mouse, then we must make an exception here. We must grant that in one detail man is the moral peer of the cat. All creatures kill, there seems to be no exception, but of the whole list man is the only one that kills for fun. He is the only one that kills in malice, the only one that kills for revenge. Also, in all the list, he is the only creature that has a nasty mind. Shall he be extolled for his noble qualities, for his gentleness, his sweetness, his amiability, his lovingness, his courage, his devotion, his patience, his fortitude, his prudence, the various charms and graces of his spirit? The other animals share all these with him, yet are free from the blacknesses and rottennesses of his character. There are certain sweet-smelling sugar-coated lies current in the world 
which all politic men have apparently tacitly conspired together to support and perpetuate one of these is that there is such a thing in the world as independence independence of thought independence of opinion independence of action another is that the world loves to see independence admires it applauds it another is that there is such a thing in the world as toleration in religion in politics and such matters and with it trains that already mentioned auxiliary lie that toleration is admired and applauded out of these trunk lies spring many branch ones to wit the lie that not all men are slaves the lie that men are glad when other men succeed glad when they prosper glad to see them reach lofty heights sorry to see them fall again and yet other branch lies to wit that there is heroism in man that he is not mainly made up of malice and treachery that he is sometimes not a coward that there is something about him that ought to be perpetuated in heaven or hell or somewhere and these other branch lies to wit that conscience man's moral medicine chest is not only created by the creator but is put into man ready charged with the right and only true and authentic correctives of conduct and the duplicate chest with the self-same correctives unchanged unmodified distributed to all nations and all epochs and yet one other branch lie to wit that i am i and you are you that we are units individuals and have natures of our own instead of being the tail end of a tapeworm eternity of ancestors extending in linked procession back and back and back to our source in the monkeys with this so-called individuality of ours a decayed and rancid mush of inherited instincts and teachings derived atom by atom stench by stench from the entire line of that sorry column and not so much new and original matter in it as you could balance on a needle-point and examine under a microscope this makes well-nigh fantastic the suggestion that there can be such a thing as a personal original and responsible nature in a man separable from that in him which is not original and findable in such quantity as to enable the observer to say this is a man not a procession consider the first-mentioned lie that there is such a thing in the world as independence that it exists in individuals that it exists in bodies of men surely if anything is proven by whole oceans and continents of evidence 
it is that the quality of independence was almost wholly left out of the human race the scattering exceptions to the rule only emphasize it light it up make it glare the whole population of new england meekly took their turns for years in standing up in the railway trains without so much as a complaint above their breath till at last these uncounted millions were able to produce exactly one single independent man who stood to his rights and made the railroad give him a seat statistics and the law of probabilities warrant the assumption that it will take new england forty years to breed his fellow there is a law with a penalty attached forbidding trains to occupy the asylum street crossing more than five minutes at a time for years people and carriages used to wait there nightly as much as twenty minutes on a stretch while new england trains monopolized that crossing i used to hear men use vigorous language about that insolent wrong but they waited just the same we are discreet sheep we wait to see how the drove is going and then go with the drove we have two opinions one private which we are afraid to express and another one the one we use which we force ourselves to wear to please mrs grundy until habit makes us comfortable in it and the custom of defending it presently makes us love it adore it and forget how pitifully we came by it look at it in politics look at the candidates whom we loathe one year and are afraid to vote against the next whom we cover with unimaginable filth one year and fall down on the public platform and worship the next and keep on doing it until the habitual shutting of our eyes to last year's evidences brings us presently to a sincere and stupid belief in this year's look at the tyranny of the party at what is called party allegiance party loyalty a snare invented by designing men for selfish purposes and which turns voters into chattels slaves rabbits and all the while their masters and they themselves are shouting rubbish about liberty independence freedom of opinion freedom of speech honestly unconscious of the fantastic contradiction and forgetting or ignoring that their fathers and the churches shouted the same blasphemies a generation earlier when they were closing their doors against the hunted slave beating his handful of humane defenders with bible texts and billies and pocketing the insults and licking the shoes of his southern master if we would learn what the human race really is at bottom we need only observe it in election times 
a hartford clergyman met me in the street and spoke of a new nominee denounced the nomination in strong earnest words words that were refreshing for their independence their manliness note january eleventh o six i can't remember his name it began with k i think he was one of the american revisers of the new testament and was nearly as great a scholar as hammond trumbull he said i ought to be proud perhaps for this nominee is a relative of mine on the contrary i am humiliated and disgusted for i know him intimately familiarly and i know that he is an unscrupulous scoundrel and always has been you should have seen this clergyman preside at a political meeting forty days later and urge and plead and gush and you should have heard him paint the character of this same nominee you would have supposed he was describing the cid the great heart and sir galahad and bayard the spotless all rolled into one was he sincere yes by that time and therein lies the pathos of it all the hopelessness of it all it shows at what trivial cost of effort a man can teach himself to lie and learn to believe it when he perceives by the general drift that that is the popular thing to do does he believe his lie yet no oh, probably not he has no further use for it it was but a passing incident he spared to it the moment that was its due then hastened back to the serious business of his life and what a paltry poor lie is that one which teaches that independence of action and opinion is prized in men admired honored rewarded when a man leaves a political party he is treated as if the party owned him as if he were its bond slave as most party men plainly are and had stolen himself gone off with what was not his own and he is traduced derided despised held up to public obloquy and loathing his character is remorselessly assassinated no means however vile are spared to injure his property and his business the preacher who casts a vote for conscience sake runs the risk of starving and is rightly served for he has been teaching a falsity that men respect and honor independence of thought and action mr beecher may be charged with a crime and his whole following will rise as one man and stand by him to the bitter end but who so poor to be his friend when he is charged with casting a vote for conscience sake take the editor so charged take take anybody all the talk about tolerance in anything or anywhere is plainly a gentle lie it does not exist it is in no man's heart but it unconsciously and 
by moss-grown inherited habit drivels and slobbers from all men's lips intolerance is everything for oneself and nothing for the other person the mainspring of man's nature is just that selfishness let us skip the other lies for brevity's sake to consider them would prove nothing except that man is what he is loving toward his own lovable to his own his family his friends and otherwise the buzzing busy trivial enemy of his race who tarries his little day does his little dirt commends himself to god and then goes out into the darkness to return no more and send no messages back selfish even in death end of section one new york tuesday january twenty third nineteen o six